Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1. Talking about a great couple of verses today. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now this Thursday, Friday, Saturday is the NFL, the National Football League draft. Uh, that means the, the top college students are drafted by one of the 32 pro teams and they become professionals. So if that's news to you, you're probably not the world's biggest uh, football fan, but when they, how they determine who to draft, besides watching you play in college, they have these tests. One test is literally how high can you jump, another is how fast can you run, and a third is how many weights can you lift, or uh, this, uh, in, especially bench press. So here's a picture of a bench press. It's a bench, you lay down on your back, it's got these weights on top, and you kind of do reverse push-ups. So you take it off, you touch your chest and push it out. And they want to know, with 225 pounds, that's the standard measure, how many times can you do this? Now you have to understand, the cameras are there, the coaches who are going to draft players are there, maybe cheerleaders, I don't know, but it's a big deal. And so we've had guys who, who we, we've had guys who have bench pressed 225 more than 40 times without stopping. So if you can do that, that is nothing to be ashamed of. But it, look at the same scenario. You got the coaches there, the live TV and all that, and you get up and you can't even bench once. That's, that's totally embarrassing. That is shameful. And so what else are people ashamed of? Well, you might say, I'm ashamed of my perfect 10 body. I don't think that's ever been said. You know, maybe you heard, oh, there's a beach day coming up. I'm gonna show up and do my thing with my perfect 10 body. No, it does, it's not going to happen that way. At my age, three to four is best. That's on a good day. All right, but I did find a way to lose weight this morning. I am not kidding. You'll want to write this down. I went to weigh myself, and I lost my balance, and I leaned forward a little bit, and I lost three pounds. <laughs> and I had Haagen-Dazs last night. So it's literally the Haagen-Dazs diet. I got so excited. I forgot to put on my deodorant, so now I'm all wet. So anyway, if you brought some, oh, you like share. But uh, so when nobody's embarrassed of their perfect 10 body, it's usually we're embarrassed of our imperfections or our past or other things that tend to haunt us or my billionaire bank account. Nobody's embarrassed of being a billionaire. We're usually embarrassed on the other side, oh, struggling to make rent or man, you still driving that thing or being the most valuable player at the Super Bowl. You know, being the stud volleyball player, did I hear getting called out today? Yeah, dream on, the hammer. Anyway, you know, we, I, I, I'm just, I've never been there. I've never been the star athlete who gets the MVP trophy at the end. I'm usually more of the klutz. And, and so people are ashamed of, now Paul is writing to the Roman church, remember? He's never been there. He's it's on his spiritual bucket list. He wants to go there. But he knows the Romans are into power. They, they, their military power basically has crushed the opponent. Make them subject to you. Humiliate them. And so he's trying to write about a guy who died on a cross to this, this 
group that wants to know about power and, and all that. And so they're going, wait a minute, you're going to brag? You're going to tell me about a guy hanging on a cross who was convicted of something deserving of capital punishment? He was whipped 39 times. He's wearing a crown of thorns. And you're telling me I need to be with this guy? That's shameful. He says, no, it's not shameful. It's the power of God. So again, Paul wanted to establish, or he wanted to go to Rome. He ultimately got there. But he wanted to, to encourage them, to establish them. And he would do this by mutual gifts. Remember last week, Paul says, I have a gift. I'd love to share it with you, but you guys have gifts. And you can encourage me by sharing your gift. And people would go, I don't think so. I'm going to share, I'm going to encourage the apostle. Do you ever think he might need it more than anybody else in the room? He's out there in the front lines. He goes, yeah, it's mutually beneficial. But now he switches gears to share about the gospel of God or the gospel of Christ. Gospel in its verb or noun form is mentioned 60 times in the book of Romans. Okay, that means we need to get familiar with this. We need to know how to share it, what it is, how to digest it. So it simply means good news, or it means it's God's power to forgive sin and to change lives. I believe with all my heart, someone here this morning, it's your day. It's your time to get right with God. I'm not looking at anyone in particular. I don't have any names or faces. I just think today is the day. You've been putting it off long enough. Today's the day to get right with God. So let's read, not ashamed of the gospel. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. It's Romans chapter 1, just two verses. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness... I just realized I'm not wearing my thing. Sorry. Were you trying to show me? <laughs> Embarrassed. I was so happy about losing three pounds. I forgot to. Okay, are we better? Sorry about that. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith, quoting the, the Old Testament. So here's our very simple outline this morning. First, it's the power of God. Second, it's the righteousness of God. And third, play on this, it's time to pass it on to others. All right? So hopefully everyone got one of these cards when you came in about how to receive new, new life in Christ. If you didn't, they're $5. If you raise your hand, you'll, you'll get one, okay? So the power of God. Here's Paul going, I'm not ashamed of this. This stuff is powerful. And he goes, in the book of Acts, he goes, you know what? I persecuted this way to the death, meaning I was so upset that they're taking Jews away from the temple and all that. I, I'm responsible for having people killed. How, try to live with that. He says, I was a fanatic. I, I was basically not much different than the, the guys blowing up stuff today Be, for their God. I was having people killed for my God. I thought I was doing the right thing. But here he is years later, even at the end of his life, always sharing his testimony because Paul the Apostle never got over the fact that God saved him, that God loved him, that he forgave him. And I think it's sad when a Christian forgets, dude, you are saved by the grace of God. The God 
who loves you so much he gave his only son. I think it's sad when we think, well, I deserve it. No, we don't deserve it. It's grace. So Paul never got over. He goes, look at me. I was basically a terrorist, and now I'm an apostle. Think of other guys. Look at the demoniac in Mark, in chapter, uh, chapter 5 of Mark, where Jesus had said, God will leave the 99 healthy sheep and go and find the one who's lost. And then he demonstrated what he means by this. He leaves the healthy sheep and goes to find the demoniac. Go figure. This is the guy no one would go near. They tried to chain him down. He would break the chains. He, he was just demon-possessed. The best the world could do was try and tie him up, and it didn't work. Jesus goes and sets him free. Free of a legion, thousands of demons in a word. Go. That's the power. He's like, I'm not ashamed of this. It's not like I didn't do above a, pound, a bench press. This guy's doing a gazillion of them. I'm not ashamed of that. And then he talks about, what about Mary Magdalene? Okay, he didn't talk about it, but probably thinking about it. Do you know how many demons Mary Magdalene had? Great trivia question. Seven demons. Seven demons. She's the kind of girl that you go, I'm not getting too close to that one. Jesus did. Set her free of seven demons. Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed. This stuff is powerful. Then it's the idea is the power of sharing your testimony. We're going to get towards the end of this how to share. One of the best ways is this is what Jesus has done in my life. And it still continues to this day. A powerful testimony. Share what Jesus Christ has done to you. So from the, the power of God, we go into the righteousness. Now, he says this. Uh, I, I have this picture of George Floyd. And... Uh, Thankfully, this past week, the, the cop who leaned on his neck for nine, nine and a half minutes was convicted. And America breathed a sigh of, sigh of relief, right? If not convicted, this would have been crazy. But we, I think we can all agree that it'd be wrong to let violent crime go unpunished. I mean, it's the buzzword today, you know, social injustice. It needs to be punished. It need, these guys need to be held accountable. Okay? Do we translate that to the gospel where a righteous God who, who is called holy, holy, holy in the Scripture, there's no other greater way to emphasize something, he doesn't wink at sin. He, he doesn't let sin go unpunished. See, we, we understand it with social injustice, but we seemingly don't understand it when it comes to the holiness of God. So this is what happens. God says the penalty for sin is death. Every one of us has sinned. The penalty is spiritual death now and eventually eternal death. So here's God's dilemma. How can a righteous and a holy, holy, holy God forgive sin and still be righteous? There's only one solution, Jesus. He sent his son to pay it for us. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, and this is a great one to be familiar with when you're trying to share with others. It, it says this, God the Father, for he made him, God the Son, who knew no sin, he was totally innocent, he was a sacrificial lamb, to be sin, to become sin for us, 
so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's called the exchange at the cross. Perfect, holy, sinless Jesus gives us his holiness as we exchange it for our unrighteousness. And he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God and it's the, in it the righteousness of God is demonstrated. How? The exchange at the cross. The righteousness of God. He is still righteous and holy but able to forgive sins because of what Jesus Christ has done. Here's my problem and your problem. I don't feel righteous. Ah, let's go further. If you'd followed me around this last week, I did things that weren't very righteous. I, uh, I, 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 there's times I'm just so aware of my unrighteousness. And the devil whips me with it and just reminds me of how unrighteous I am. So what do I do? Now, we're going to get fancy here. And this is called the tenses and senses of salvation. Now, I've seen guys take pictures of stuff to remember it. When we're done with this, you might, you might want to take a picture because this helps that person who goes, I don't feel righteous. God calls me righteous. I don't feel righteous. So here's, there's going to be three terms, all right? The first term is our position in Christ, the believer's position. Now, we'll go across the board on that one, and then we'll get to our practice as Christians. Because of my position, this is my lifestyle, all right? Some people have never gotten there, but it needs to be. Then we're going to end up, not my position, not my practice, but his promise, what God promises. So from there, let's go into the tenses. So the tense of my position in Christ, my past has been dealt with. All my sins have been, boom, you are forgiven, declared righteous. How, how does this happen? Well, it's the sense is justification. You can break down that word just as if I'd never sinned plus the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, he's saying, look, it's like every one of us went before the judge and we're guilty as all. And the judge, you know, Satan spews everything we've done wrong and how uh, immoral and, you know, unrighteous, whatever. And it's all true. And Jesus goes, well, he's with me. The mallet smacks down, not guilty. Not guilty. That's what justification means. I have been, as a Christian, declared not guilty. So the essence of this is God sees us in Christ. My favorite way to describe that is uh, there's, you're either in Christ or on your own. On your own at this point, God goes, well, Satan's done a very convincing, you know, polemic of why you should go to prison. And uh, what he got to say, yeah, it's all true. But when Christ stands up, now I'm in Christ, it would be like Christ is an envelope. And Mike goes into the envelope, and I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. So all these things are said at the same trial, and they're all equally true. But now God says, where is this guy? Oh, Mike is in Christ. So that's the essence here. Justification. Um, and God sees us in Christ, and now we have, there's going to be three P's at the end. First, I'm saved, spared from the penalty of sin. Not the consequences, okay? I still face consequences for my sin. So do you. 
And it's foolish to think, well, there's no consequence. There's always consequences. You reap what you sow. But I'll never face the penalty for my sin because Jesus did a very thorough job of that on the cross. All right? So that's the first one, our position. Now, the second one is our practice. This is present tense. This is life as we know it until we go to be with him. The sense of this is sanctification. Those justification, sanctification, two $10 words you really need to be familiar with. Justification, because I'm in Christ, I am not guilty. Sanctification comes from that. I, in sanctification, I am growing as a Christian. I'm not just, you know, it's like, well, I raised my hand in church to get saved 20 years ago and I never did a thing with it. That's not sanctification. Sanctification is, all right, you entered kindergarten. Now let's grow as a Christian, as a believer. The, the, the thing to remember, you don't do, you, you don't practice your sanctification in order to be justified. It's the other, other way around. Because I'm justified, because I'm already declared not guilty, this is my lifestyle. There are people who say, I have such a heart for so-and-so and so-and-so. I want to see him in heaven. What if it's your lifestyle that's going to convince them, okay, there's something different about this person? So in this one, the second P, the first one was I'm saved from the penalty of sin. Now it's the power of sin. Because I'm sanctified, because I'm growing, repenting a lot, new beginnings, and just, Lord, here I am. Eventually... I'm more and more free from the power of sin. Truth be told, I will never be completely free from the power of sin until we're with Jesus Christ. All right? So that brings us to the last one. We had our position, declared not guilty. And then our practice, as a result of not being guilty, this is my lifestyle with Christ, then it's his promise. Now watch this one. So if we've already covered past and present, promise has got to be future. All right? In the past, my sins are paid for, justification. Then the present, I'm growing, sanctification. This one's crazy, and it's biblical. It's glorification. In Romans 8, we'll get to it eventually. God says, you know, those who he justified, he glorified. In God's eyes, I am good as being right there with him good is being right there with him. My future is secure. He says, Mike, I don't know what your problem is with the issues you're facing and the, because I see you eventually in heaven. When I'm watching a replay of last year's Super Bowl, I'm not worried who's going to win. I know who's going to win. Life right now for God, it's like an instant replay of that. So in this, the essence here is to be with God and with, with him forever in heaven. You know, it's, it's over. It's over. So at this point, oh, free from the presence of sin? Can you imagine never, ever being tempted to sin again? That's what heaven's going to be like. Never. Never. You're just like, you, know, you, you won't be tempted. There's no sin that bounces right off you. You won't be tempted for pride. You won't be tempted for pity parties. You won't be tempted for lust. You just name the thing. There's no more temptation. You have your resurrected body, your glorified body, and you're with him in heaven. So there it is. If you want to take a picture, 
because uh, that's, that's a lot. I get it. But here it is. He says it's from faith to faith. And you go, okay, I'm not sure what that means. It, one writer said, no, it means it's from the beginning to the end of your faith journey with Jesus Christ. It's not like, okay, I did this in 30 years ago, but no, no, no. You, you're still with him, right? You're still growing, right? And then he goes, it, it's, it, it's secure because of that glorification, but, but keep growing in the meantime. So then he, he ends this section with the just shall live by faith. And he goes, okay, uh, it's not by keeping the Ten Commandments. I don't know about you. That's, I grew up thinking you keep the Ten Commandments, which are impossible to keep. You'll go to heaven. No, no, no. It, it's, and it's not by doing devotions. Oh, I did my devotions today, so I have God's favor. Well, devotions are good, okay? But that's not what makes you justified. It's not even going by your feelings. The idea is your future is secure. Keep growing. Keep being sanctified. Now, time to pass it on to others. How do I do that? Well, we talked, there's various ways. We talked about the first one already, the power of God, to the power of, a, of sharing your testimony. Do you know why a lot of people don't share about Jesus with unbelievers? They don't share about Jesus with believers. It's like a foreign subject to them. And so I just love our Ohana groups where Man, we have fellowship, we have koinonia, we have all this stuff, but we're talking about Jesus with other believers, and we're getting used to the fact, this is normal, this is my life, this is my lifestyle. I talk about Jesus with believers. So it's very easy to talk about believers with, or talk about Jesus with unbelievers. See, if you never talk about them, no wonder you get this divine opportunity and go, uh, what do I say? So... The personal testimony, and don't let it be a sermon. Let it be a dialogue. Don't bore that person with endless details that don't matter. Get to the heart. This is how Jesus changed my life. The second way is what we call friendship evangelism. I'm all for this. I'm all for it. But can I say this? For friendship evangelism, let's be intentional. Let's be salt and light. The reason is that friendship events, well, I'm, I'm making friends, I'm building bridges. I'm all for that. Are you intentional? Inviting them to spiritual discussion, inviting them to church, and inviting them to, hey, can I share my testimony? Are you salt and light? Meaning, hey, this is what God's word says about what you're doing. All right? Because to me, a lot of friendship evangelism is all friendship and no evangelism. Be intentional. Be salt, be light. Another way to pass it on, I love this. First Peter chapter 3. He says this. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready. And then the rest of the, the idea is sanctify, be ready. The rest of the verse is ready to, to tell people why there's so much hope in your life. When they ask you, this is God setting the table. This is God saying, hey, Mike, watch this. You don't know it, but this guy's been struggling for three years with this, and he wants to come to you and say, why do you have such peace in your life? Or he wants to go to you women, why, why is there such joy? I don't get it. I'm down all the time. They're seeing something in your life, and the God of mercy is orchestrating this, setting the table, bringing them to you, and he wants, then they even ask the question, how do you have such joy? How do you have such hope? How do you give the right answer? See this word? sanctify. That's the first thing we do. 
Sanctify the Lord God in your heart, meaning I'm setting my life apart for the King of Kings. There's no greater honor. I'm, I'm setting my, my life apart for him. I am sanctifying him this day. And because I'm ready to do that, of course I'm ready to talk about him. But it says, always be ready. I think there's a lot of people who are, they're not in that always be ready category. Uh, we had this rat thing the other day. And uh, somebody, we had, the, uh, there's a sign in the back of our building that says, don't leave stuff here. They used to leave it for goodwill. So somebody left this bag, a big garbage bag, and it'd been there for days. I'm going, okay, I'll just throw it in my truck and take it to the dump. So I'm opening it up to find out what is in this thing, and a rat jumps out. If you left it there, thank you so much. But anyway, a rat, and he comes almost, almost gets my, my arm and jumps down probably nine foot long, you know, if I had a saddle, I could have ridden the thing and just, and I, and I go, whoa, what was that? And Tyler Unger goes, it's a rat. It's right over there by the stairs. The stairs that leads up to our Sunday school rooms ain't going to happen. Not on my watch. So I become, I have two slippers on. I take one off and I start chasing the rat up the stairs like anybody would do. And just slapping a... <laughs> You know, just chasing him, crawling up, you know, this old geezer chasing a rat. Do you know what you look like to a rat? You're like 900 times the size of the rat. He's looking up like this going, this is like a bad horror movie or something, you know, the pastor gone mad. And so I got him, and then the stairs go up, and there's the elbow joint goes up. So I'm going around the elbow joint, and I smacked him good. He did a U-turn, runs past me, and going down the stairs. Right for Tyler Unger. And I'm thinking, perfect. I say, Tyler, get the rat. He goes, huh? Remember? Snagglepuss. Who? Get the rat. He's coming right at you. But someone wasn't in that always be ready mode. You see what I'm saying? He's ready. He, he did his devotions. He's ready to share. He's ready to go to the office, have staff meetings. He's ready to, to get prepared for the you know, fish and loaves and, and the young adults. It's young adults, but young adults. But he's ready for all that. He's not ready for a rat. But I'm happy to say there are some ninja pastors on staff here. Far be it from me to say who they are. Big deal, one's the senior pastor. Big deal, the other guy's initials are A, no, D-A. I wouldn't say who. But between the two of us, we're smacking that guy silly, and then Danny, oh yeah, good one. And he revives a little. We just made sure he's today in rat Hades, okay? And we don't feel bad about it at all. But the thing is, we are ready. This, what this verse means, hey, before you leave the house, are you ready? Are you missional? Are you going, I hope God brings me, a, 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 I hope there's a 1 Peter 3 in, in my life today because, man, if God sets the table and somebody goes, what is it about you? I'm going to share because Christ is sanctified in my heart and I'm, I'm, set to, I'm on a mission today. I'm not just going to work. I'm not just going surfing. I'm on a mission. 
Are you one of those people? When you leave the house, are you an always be ready person or you go, that's the furthest thing from your mind. So one way to share is always be ready. Now, you have one of these, hopefully, and some of you have gone through this before. One guy saw it at the door, he goes, well, mine is laminated. And I said, I just want to know if it's used or it's just looking pretty in your Bible. So this is how to lead someone to the Lord, how to share, and it's called the Romans Road. So we're in Romans, and this is like a great bookmark. This little thing has been used by people, used by the Lord to use people to lead people to Christ. Just, just uh, quickly, this is what it means. For all have sinned. Are you there? Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means you. <laughs> that means me. So when you're sharing this, you can put yourself forefront, I'm a sinner. And the idea is the glory of God is perfection. Nothing less than perfection is allowed into his presence at this point. And the glory of God is, okay, I'm trying. The, say, the falling short is, I'm trying for that perfection. I'm just falling short. But God knows my heart. Nah, that's actually the first step of Romans, the, the Romans road. And maybe if you were here on Easter, you heard my, I love the illustration about swimming. That we could go right down to a Lee Beach Park and say, okay, let's go swimming. And the goal, our first goal is the, the half mile marker. Okay, 911 is following us already. Some are keeling over. The second goal, you go, well, swim to Kauai. That's the goal. 90 miles away. Do it. You're, I'm going to fall short, even though I'm trying. But let's say the goal is Japan, thousands of miles away. And you go, well, I'm trying. God knows I'm trying. He knows you're trying, but you're falling short. And nothing less than perfection is allowed. So from there, we, we go into the next verse. The wages of sin, the consequences of it, what we get is, is death. Notice the contrast. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the best thing, if you end up in hell, it's because you worked your tail off to get there. It's the wages of sin. You worked hard, this is your result. If you end up in heaven, it's because you received the gift. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's like... God says, I will give you the gift of my son, Jesus Christ. From there, we go to Romans 5, 8. How beautiful is this? God demonstrates his own love for us. And that while we we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God did not wait for you to clean up your act. He knew there's no such thing. It's not going to happen. So while you're his enemies, think of how you treat your enemies. Give me a chance. God says... They're all my enemies. I love them. And I'm going to not just talk about my love. I'm going to demonstrate my love. Are you, are, you, are you with us so far? So then he goes into Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, this is, you have a part of this. This is a response part. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You go, well, what's the resurrection got to do with anything? It's proof Jesus overcame sin, the, pe the penalty of sin. He overcame that. He has resurrection power. And if I open my mouth and say, you know what, I believe that, I can be saved. I really like this one. 
Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't know about you, but I've shared with people, and you get to this part, and they go, you don't know what I've done. Yeah, and I don't need to know. I don't need to know what you've done. I just need to know that you want to call on the name of the Lord, whoever calls. It's not whoever except Mike. No, it's whoever. So then the next one is, by grace you're saved. Now we switch over to Ephesians. By grace you're saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Lest anyone should boast. So even the faith necessary to believe is a gift. But it's not by works. It's not by doing devotions or helping the poor. It's by grace. The acronym for that, God's resources at Christ's expense. So from there we go to the next one. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Do you not love this verse? How picturesque. Revelation 3.20. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and we'll dine with him and he with me. So here we have an image of Christ standing outside a sinner's heart. And he's knocking. Saying, I want in. I want nothing to do with surface level, Sunday morning stuff. I want in. I want your heart. I want the real you. And if you hear that and you go, wow, by the way, that's what it takes. People keep asking us about the Jesus revolution of the 70s and stuff. The Holy Spirit was poured out. I mean, you can have all the fancy sermons and songs and not, but without the Holy Spirit, there's nothing. So maybe it's this morning you're hearing, man, I, I sense he's knocking on the door of my heart. He's singling me out saying, I want in. Now, at that point, say, you go, you know, I'm ready. Here's a promise on the back now. 1 John 5, 13. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. God doesn't want you to live with a question mark. That you may know that you have, present tense, something that lasts forever, eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. See, there's a doctrine. Well, I got saved and so I'm good. Are you continuing as genuine proof that you have this relationship? Because without that, I'm really not interested. But if this is genuine, I really surrender to Christ and the sanctification process is going on and you go, ha, 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 God wants you to know. Know that you know that you know that you're going with him. So there, there's this suggested prayer. You know, Lord, I'm a sinner. It's good to admit. Please come into my heart. I'm yours. There's some suggestions on, you know, then you switch from evangelism to discipleship. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. And so you go, you know, there's some building blocks that you'd want to do, like fellowship, that like go to church. Hey, I'll bring you. You want to go Sunday? Read your Bible. Get a translation that you understand. Pray, which, talk with God, tell others about Jesus. You know what? You might want to add water baptism. It's a sign of repentance, a sign of uh, obedience. And then finally, invite them to church. Invite them to church. And again, I think it's great to say, hey, church is at 9. What, can I pick you up at a quarter of? Can I pick you up at 8.30? Because sometimes the most effective ministry is before church. A lot of people don't know it because they're running around doing other stuff or kids to drop off. I get it. But some people can be freed up and do ministry. So here's the deal. 
What if there wasn't good news? We aren't talking about good news. Oh, it's great. What if there wasn't good news? You know what there'd be? Depression. Hopelessness. Just rotten. Oh, my goodness, I'm getting what I deserve. There's no grace involved. So what if there's no good news? But what, secondly, what if there's tons of good news, but just no one shares it? No one shares it. You know, it gets me. Paul, the apostle, wrote to, first, first, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and said, I want you to be an example to the believers of a believer. And so I was thinking of this this morning. I go, wow, what if everyone follows my lead in sharing with others? Or they follow my lead in not sharing. Oh, that's somebody else's job. No, no, no. What if there's no one who shares the good news? Plenty of good news. And the thing I shared on, on Easter, hey, if you had the cure to cancer, and I've, I'm a cancer survivor, maybe you are, maybe you know somebody, and, and, but somebody who's not surviving, and they're dying, and you have the cure? Aren't you going to share it? I mean, who cares about the billions of dollars you get? It's the right thing to do. Share it. You can spare this person of physical death. What about, you don't have a cure for cancer, you have the cure for sin. Sin with eternal consequences. I am not trying to shame you into sharing, but to motivate you to see the bigger picture. Because right now you're thinking, yeah, I got bills. I don't know what I'm doing next year on this and that. Be missional. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. Everything else falls into place. That's the promise of the Savior who died on the cross for you. All right? So, how about you? Do you remember the first time someone shared with you? I mean, if you grew up in church, because my wife, she goes, no, heard it for thousands of times. Her dad's the choir director for 25 years in a Baptist church. She knows every, every hymn in the book. I don't. I remember, because I grew up in a church that emphasized going to church, keeping the Ten Commandments, burn, burn for a while in purgatory, you'll be fine. I loved purgatory doctrine. I loved it. Kind of cheat a little on the side, sin for a little bit, and you'll be good. But Jesus said, it's paid in full. It's over. Do you remember the first time? I remember. There was a, our group, Bowie, Maryland, was exploding, just exploding with growth. And our high school, uh, in my senior class, was over 700 kids. And we were all lost. And along comes this guy and his wife, newlyweds, and they open up this thing called Young Life. And all of a sudden, all my friends say, you got to come to this thing, man. You got to come to this thing. And all of a sudden, there's already 200 students doing this. I think it's on Wednesday nights. So the first time I go, they're saying, hey, in two nights, there's a retreat, not in Maryland, but in Virginia, Virginia Beach, 500 kids will be there. <laughs> And half of them are girls, I'm thinking, purest of motives. But I remember hearing the gospel for the first time. I remember this guy, Richard Bond, shares about Lazarus. And I'm like, what? It was short. It was like he's talking about Jesus comes to this guy's tomb. He's been dead for four days. It's a picture of salvation where it says in Ephesians, you're dead in your sins. 
Don't say you're seeking God. You are dead in your sins. And Jesus comes up, remove the stone. Would you? Would you go, are you? It's going to stink, Lord. How we love to give God instructions. Remove the stone. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, you know the story, he comes out. I remember he said, if he didn't say Lazarus, the entire tomb would come out, everybody in there. But because he was specific and he said it's a picture of salvation where God wants to say, Mike, come forth. Insert your name, come forth. That's what salvation is, responding to the call of God. I remember he shared a story. Now, this is high school, and he shared a story about driving off when he was in high school, and he had to spit. And they're driving off, and he spit this way. <laughs> and it went this way. And I thought, this guy's so cool. He's a, he's a jerk like I am. He's got spit on his face. I remembered him. But then I thought, 500 kids, half of them are girls. Everybody else had paid for, they're all in the hotel. I drive my GTO out there with, with a buddy who paid, I didn't. I'm sleeping in my GTO outside. And it was uncomfortable. See, when I first heard it, I, I don't like this. I like punching in uh, as late as I can in church and then punching out as early as I can. That's church. God fits great in my back pocket. I wasn't, ugh, this stuff was new to me. I, what do you mean surrender? No, no, no. So I went, went to this conference, and it was. Hotel, on the beach, 500 kids, great. But I got bored, and I got my GTO. I got freedom. They don't have I go, hey, four guys, so me and three others, we're going to drive across because the drinking law in Virginia was 21, but in North Carolina, it's 18. We're going to drive across the border, get a case of beer, a six-pack each, drive back, just watch TV, forget the big meeting. We're over this stuff. So we drive, and we get to North Carolina, and the drinking law was 18, but we're still 17. So they go, Mike, you got the sideburns. You go in. So we got a case of beer. We go back, and we got busted. We got busted sneaking into a hotel room with all the beer, and they call the leaders, and they're having this huge meeting and crazy worships going on, and, and I, I could tell the leader doesn't know what to do with me because everybody else belonged there. I was this guy sleeping in my car, being there for all the wrong reasons, and then my friends saying, go, just go. He doesn't know. He, just get out of here. Now, I need to face the music, and I didn't get saved that night. But driving home the next day is when I pray, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. See, I have faith for junior high and senior high students because I was the one that go, we don't know what to do with this guy. He doesn't belong with everybody. Because of him, we have major headache problems. And yet, at the end of the year, they gave me an award, the most enthusiastic for a, for a, a retreat because that's how I got saved. But I do remember the first time I heard the gospel and I was very uncomfortable and I did my best to get away from it. And I tried to increase sin, not clean up my act. But then I, I surrendered. Do you remember the first time? What spoke to you and how did you finally get won over? What convinced you 
this is for me, I surrender, I'm yours, Jesus. So I asked my 12-year-old granddaughter, Kavana, the other day, hey, do you know your sins are forgiven? She goes, yeah. Then I asked the question, how? How do you know? Oh, do you know? Because Jesus paid the price. Because I've heard his knock on my heart. I've given my life to him. I'm living a life of sanctification. I'm growing in spiritual ways. I'm claiming his promises that someday, <laughs> he, he sees me glorified already, someday I'm going to realize that. And have you ever surrendered? Have you ever surrendered to Christ to where you go, what am I doing? I'm hearing the good news and getting worse. Not hearing it and saying, okay, that's me. How about this? For Christians who are here, are you sharing the good news? Christians who are here, is your lifestyle so close with Christ that it's convincing others, I need what you have? Or are you the chameleon Christian that, hey, you show up here, you're one color, the green, then you get out to, you know, on the tree, it turns into a brown chameleon. Say, we don't need that. That's called a hypocrite. We need people who love people enough that, ah, it's worth living the lifestyle so I can win souls over to Jesus Christ. Which are you? I want to give you an opportunity. One thing I want to pray about, can you use this this week? Can you leave the house? Christ is sanctified, set apart in your heart. You are ready. And just looking for someone, not to put a notch in your Bible, but to share and see a soul turn from hell to heaven. I'd like to pray for you. Yeah, I, I, I want to do that this week. But if you're here and you're not living the lifestyle, you're claiming to be a Christian, but nobody's being won over by your witness, it's time to surrender freshly. And finally, there's those who you hear him knocking. He's knocking loud and clear, and it is time to surrender. You know, as the band comes out, can we just pray? Father, it would have been so easy. Just turn your back on us. We're miserable, rotten sinners. Some worse than others, but all deserving hellfire. We make time now for your spirit. Move upon among us. And as that verse says, may you knock on the door of people's hearts. May they hear you say, I want in. Nothing surface level. I want your heart. I want it all. You know, as we're still praying, if you're here and you're realizing God's got your number today, and you realize, I, I have got to get right with him before I leave here. And you'd like to have your sins forgiven. I want to pray for you, but could you just show me who you are by just raising your hand, saying, yes, it's me. Today's my day. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anyone else? Today, right here, right now, it's your time. God bless you as well. Just pray. Repeat after me, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. 
please come into my heart. Forgive me. Fill me. Lead me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys for doing that. Others, it's time to share. Time to share. I love you. I want God's best for you. I'm going to heaven. I want to see every one of you there. How's that sound? Let's stand and praise our Savior.